0: The Coaches Roundtable is brought to you by Between the Lines. Between the Lines offers online training with current minor league affiliates from the comfort of your own home through online technology. With their coaching, watch your skills and money increase due to no longer needing to drive to get training. For more information, go to betweenthelines.pro. What's up, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Coaches Roundtable Podcast. I'm your host, Joel Credo, and today I've got a collegiate coach, another collegiate coach on with me, and the guy who hasn't been on the podcast before, and I'm, I'm looking forward to hearing what he's got to say, especially about hitters and catchers, um, but enough for me. Let's get to know Coach. Coach Kelly, tell us a little bit about yourself and how you got to where you are now.
1: So uh, currently an assistant baseball coach at Texas A&M Kingsville. Uh, D2 down in South Texas, really good D2 in South Texas. Uh, Got married this summer and and so thought it was best I moved back uh, to the the area where she's at now and kind of our family lives and where we grew up. I was at Charleston Southern last year uh, and then before that I was at a junior college, northern Oklahoma in, in Oklahoma, which is where I actually played junior college baseball for a year and a half, and before that I was at Carl Albert, which is also an Oklahoma as junior college. And so, uh, kind of been been across all levels of baseball and thankful for that, but, but I'm extremely grateful for where I am right now and having the opportunity to be
0: where I am. So you talked about being at all levels of baseball, and it sounds like you've been quite a few places and learned quite a few things. But the way I like to start off the podcast is getting to know you a little bit better. Here's some of the stories you've got. So I'm going to ask you my first question, and it's what's the craziest, wildest, just memorable memorable thing that you have seen at a ball field firsthand?
1: All right, so that's tough. I've seen a lot of things um, in my short time. I think the, the wildest, maybe craziest one, uh, and, and trying to stay positive here, but uh, the, the wildest, craziest one would be uh, my sophomore year at Lamar. We got down playing LSU. Uh, our head coach at the time was retiring. Uh, our new assistant head coach in waiting had just come from LSU in the fall. Uh, he showed up in January, so he had just gotten there. And we, get, we go down eight to nothing in the second inning. And, you know, I think anybody else in the ballpark or, you know, watching, following, or whatever, uh, I think I remember some of our guys talking about going back and reading the forum that LSU fans had or whatever, you know, why did we show up? Why did we come here to 10-run rule them? Well, over time, uh, I think by the sixth or maybe seventh, we had tied it up and then they took the lead back in the in the eighth. Um, we took it back from them in the bottom of the eighth, and then our closer came in. I think went one two three, and we beat them 12 to 11. Uh, but just the atmosphere of the game, our our stadium I think held 3,000 people. Uh, there were well over 3,000 people there. I think they ended up saying about 4, but uh, which is a small crowd um, for a mid major. That was really good, but. I think that was the wildest, craziest one is just how that game played out. I think we scored eight or nine runs with uh, two outs. Um, just no way it, after the second inning anybody, I think, other than ourselves and probably family members, anybody thought we had a shot to win that game, and, and we did. Um, so I think that's probably the craziest thing I've ever seen uh, just from, a, from an entire game and how it started out to how it finished.
0: So what's the best performance you've ever seen firsthand at a ball field?
1: Man, I, I, don't, I don't know. Um, I was really blessed last year uh, to be a part of a, a club that had some really talented players. Uh, coach Izio was our pitching coach at Charleston Southern. He did a phenomenal job with the pitchers. Um, RJ Pettit. I think ended up being a 14th rounder with Detroit Uh, started every Friday night for us, Uh, just extremely talented arm, pitch abilities there, everything's there for the kid, got everything going for him. And, uh, you know, just every time you handed him the ball. So I don't know that a single performance uh, can can be discussed, but anytime you handed that kid the ball, something special was going to happen, you know, just, his mindset, uh, more than anything, just got him through a lot of games. Uh, you know, times where young pitchers or or immature pitchers would go, well, well, you know, I lost that game, it's my fault, whatever, and and he could come off, come off the mound, and I'll never forget this. We're playing Boston College, and he was able to come off the mound and say, you know, hey, one or two pitches, or three pitches. Um, he was mature enough to know that and so I don't I don't know that a single performance um, has ever really stuck out to me from anybody but what he did over the course of the year last year was pretty special and and seeing him grow as a human uh, didn't get to be there in the fall uh, when everybody else when, when the rest of the staff got there but seeing him grow just in the five months that I was there was incredible and uh, getting to see him be successful was was probably more meaningful to me than anything I've ever seen anybody do in a single game. So, didn't answer your question exactly, but um, I think he's probably the most worthy of of that response.
0: That's still awesome coach. So, let's get straight into the catching stuff. So, I'm at a small school, my catcher moved this past season. He was a freshman. I've got to find a new catcher. I've got to develop a new catcher. Um, so what are some of the ways, what are some of the drills, what are the things you guys do it, during practice, during the off season with your catchers that myself or even another coach listening to this at the high school, the summer, the collegiate level could use in their own program?
1: Man, it's just a, a ton of drills, a ton of, uh, you know, footwork, flexibility type things. Um, you know, the days of guys just sticking guys back there because you gotta have somewhere to put them or over. Um, They've gotta be athletic, they've gotta be uh, quick twitch. Um, Just guys that can handle themselves overall. I think in the fall is really where you drill everything into them. Uh, That's where you get your drill work, that's where you get your receiving work, your blocking work, all that good stuff. And um, at the end of this, if you wanna share my email um, along with this, uh, I'd be more than happy to send it out. I actually got it from Tyler Shoemaker, who is now the, the catching guy at Vanderbilt. I uh, got my stuff from him and, and uh, Tom Griffin, who's at Carson Newman. Both are phenomenal catching guys. And, uh, you know, both both were willing to share with me and, and with anybody. Uh, that's just kind of how the catching community is. Um, share what they know and what they've already Gathered through their careers with with us younger guys, so I think in the fall there's there's not specific uh, ways to go about it, but there are. You know we we've got we've got a page, and it's got just receiving drills, and then we've got a page with just blocking drills, and then we've got a page with just throwing drills, and then we've got a page where you can put it all together. And I think our guys. Will, and and again, I'm just getting there in January, so I haven't had any time with these guys yet. I've gotten to speak with them a little bit here and there, but I haven't gotten any solid time with them, uh, concrete time with them, to be able to go over any of this stuff yet. But I think guys really, really do well when they have a system in place of they can look at it. They can take their laminated card out with them. They can take their binder out with them every day, and they know exactly what's expected. Having a throwing program that involves throwing to bases, throwing to first, throwing to second, throwing to third. Um, I think all that is extremely important for them, and they've got to get into a routine. Uh, the sooner they can get into a routine, the sooner they can, uh, the sooner they can start to develop. I don't think development really starts until they understand what they're developing. So, I think that's the most important part: is is getting them. Everything, having your meeting with those guys, and then uh, going over individually what each one needs to be doing. And then, obviously, you've got your team time, and then you've got your individual time with those guys. So when you get your 20, 30 minutes a day with the catchers, and and we're fortunate. uh, We were extremely fortunate at Charleston to have enough coaches. Everybody had a position coach, and we got our own time with those guys. At the junior college level we did a good job of it at at Tonkawa to really be able to to split those guys up but it's tough at the high school level to be able to get those guys individual time and even even at the college level sometimes it is too Uh, you're starting to see it a little bit more where catching is becoming an important uh piece or i don't want to say important but more important people are starting to really pay attention to it whereas before it was kind of like an offensive lineman where they're just there and they're on their own now we've we've got coaches that kind of specialize in it a little bit more and uh, we're able to critique things we're able to see things Um, guys that study it each day that are able now to go through and help these these younger guys out so uh, again I'm more than happy to share what I've got I've kind of critiqued it Uh, I think that's what we all do is, is get stuff from some of those guys that have done it at a high level, and then we critique it, we figure out what works and what doesn't work. But I think I've got a system now uh, that, that kind of built up with, with Coach Shoemaker and Coach Griffin, um, took what they, they had, put it together, and then added my own stuff into it. And, um, it, seems to, it seems to work well, um, guys like it gives them something to look at every day and and know where they're at, kind of a baseline of what they need to be doing and where they need to be.
0: So let's just go out on the recruiting field. Let's say you're going to watch a catcher at the game. What are you looking at at the catcher? What are things you're hoping to see, hoping to notice, things about him? Maybe it's on the field, off the field. Take us to you going to a ball field to recruit a catcher for your program and then – Take us inside your own mind and what you're looking for and what you want to see.
1: I want grit. It's kind of a word I learned in Charleston. Uh, it's got more meaning than most people think it does. But I want grit. I want a I want a kid or or a young man that will get back there and do whatever it takes. You see a lot of a lot of people that get lazy and um, you know they're just kind of there. Or, They get complacent because maybe you really only have one catcher that you're relying on, and so that one catcher starts to get complacent. When I get on the road and and start looking at catchers, I want to see guys that know how to lead. Sometimes there's coaches that call pitches. Sometimes the catchers call the pitches. When I'm in a game, I don't care. I don't need to see how well you can call pitches. I want to know, do you communicate? Are you talking with the pitcher? Are you talking with the infield? Another big thing that a lot of people don't think of is, I want to see how you communicate with the umpire. You know, are you back there getting upset? Are you back there showing the umpire up? Or are you back there, you know, quietly? Maybe you talk to him between innings. Um, You know, if you get a bad call, how do you react to it? Are you turning around or, you know, I can't see if you're talking to the umpire when you're facing the pitcher. Well, if I can't see it, then neither can the fans. And at that point, the umpire is not going to get upset, you know, unless you just say something, a no-no word that you're not supposed to say, uh, most umpires will talk to you uh, because nobody knows you're even having the conversation. So I want to see catchers handle themselves well. And then on the physical side of things, I, I want to see guys that can receive it, um, Catching is such a debate now with you know, how you receive and how you set up and, and all that stuff. I just want to know, can you receive the baseball? I don't care how you set up. Uh, setups are kind of things that we can go over, teach, learn. Um, you better be able to learn how to do all of them because different pitchers like different things and different situations call for different things. But uh, I just want to know, can you receive it? Are you strong? Uh, I think probably more quick twitch would be the word you know can you can you handle a pitch at the bottom of the zone and then are you athletic can you go block a baseball uh, are your feet quick you know can you throw a guy out um, how how are your movements are you flexible can you bend over can you squat you know those sort of things so it's it's really probably 5050 and you know how do you handle yourself mentally and how do you handle yourself physical maybe more physical than mental but I think a lot of it or some of it has to do with how you handle yourself on the field you know anybody goes out and it doesn't matter what position you're recruiting you don't want to see a kid that runs his mouth and uh, has poor body language and, and you know you don't want that guy you want the guy that handles himself and I think a catcher can get lost a lot of times because he's right there next to the umpire. And, you know, they can talk to each other every pitch if they want to. You know, it's just how do you do it? How do you handle that? And uh, do you keep your head on uh, when, when things start to go south? So you you have to be the buffer between the pitcher and the umpire. And I want to see if guys do that well or not.
0: So then let's say you recruit the guy, you like the kid, you bring the kid in, what are some of the things you notice with catchers that you bring into your programs? You know, just anywhere, maybe a lot of college coaches would agree with you, but things that they struggle with adapting to at the next level. What can I, as a high school coach, what can another high school coach think about as they're developing their catchers prior to them getting to college to help you guys and to help the kids to get ready for that next level?
1: Man, a ton of it's pitch calling. Um, And it's tough now because, you know, you get guys that call pitches even at the college level. And I don't know how they do things at the pro level per se. I know in big situations sometimes there's a lot of suggestions. But uh, it's just that art. A lot of kids have lost the ability to call pitches. Um, And here's the thing. Can you learn that in college? Yeah, absolutely. You know, we want you to learn it. Uh, that's kind of what the fall is for we want you to make mistakes and so we can talk about it but I think that's the biggest thing is kids have no clue anymore they don't you know I'm not saying that in a negative way because it's not their fault they've never thought of this before and I wouldn't have thought of it when I was playing either but now that you're out of it you look at it and go you know we've got three catchers and I'm not saying at Kingsville but you know we may have three catchers and none of them know how to call pitches well that's a problem because now that's more for the opposing team to steal. And and I think most people would agree with me at the division one level. There's a lot of people, if you're not playing and you're a hitter, you're in the dugout and you're trying to pick signs. And unless you're using a card like we did and you change it out every inning and, you know, people are going to figure that out. So uh, even the most complex signs people can figure out. So the less of that you can do, the better. And so I think that's a huge thing that that high school kids need to learn. Um, Again, summer ball is extremely important. Showcase summer ball is extremely important. But I think there's just a lot of uh, pride maybe, and that may not be the right word. Um, You know, and for you being a high school coach, you know, you want to win games in high school. That's important. But as far as the summer goes, those games don't mean anything. And I know, you know, you're a competitor. Yeah, they mean something. You know, everybody wants to win, but you're there developing kids, and that kid being able to call pitches at the next level is probably more important for us to see than it is. We don't care when we leave the ballpark if you won or not. Uh, We we want to go watch the kid that we went there to see and maybe a couple others. And so we want to know, you know, is he calling his own pitches and how is he handling it? Um, The other thing is, and there's two more, one's being late to block. There's just a lot of guys that, you know, haven't seen this breaking ball. They haven't seen uh, this slider. And so, you know, you know as well as I do, when you get to the next level, or each level you start to climb, it gets a lot more difficult as a hitter and as a catcher, unless you've done it enough, to be able to, to read a pitch person you know and that's probably not the right term Um, it's more difficult now as a catcher when you're a high school kid going into your freshman year now all of a sudden you're catching 22 year olds um, who've been doing this for four years at a high level and they may be able to spot a 97 mile an hour fastball low and away or low and in you know can you get to that low and in pitch you know are you late to a breaking ball that bounces in the dirt just because things are a lot a lot sharper uh, they might have more depth things like that so I think those kind of go hand-in-hand is is just seeing it whether it's setting up a hack attack or you know whatever it may be catching during BP sometimes even if it's on a knee Uh, we did that at Charleston a lot if we threw live BP those guys were back there receiving I just think I think catchers are starting to lose the ability to call pitches and then I think the biggest gap and it's not because of anybody doing anything it's just because it's different is the receiving ability and the blocking ability just because they're not used to that they may have one guy that throws 92 Uh, whereas in college if you don't have a whole staff of those guys then you know people start saying you're doing something wrong so it's just catchers being able to to do that on a daily daily basis as opposed to a weekly basis. They have to be prepared for that every single time they show up to the ballpark. And I think sometimes those younger guys just mentally aren't able to do that. And it doesn't matter if you're a catcher or not. Sometimes it's a shortstop. Sometimes it's a, you know, a pitcher. Those younger guys just aren't always – don't have the mental capacity to last for that long period of a of time, you know, they can do it for two weeks or a week and have a week off and then they're back, you know, good to go the next week. Um, And again, I don't think that's anything that a high school coach can do. Um, I think that's just something that's just a learning curve that most everybody's gonna go through when they get to the next level, no matter what level it is.
0: Good stuff, coach. You also work with hitters and I'm interested on what are some of the things you like to do with guys hitting at the collegiate level, what are things you'd like to see uh, us high school coaches work with guys at the high school level as well?
1: I th- you know, I don't like stepping on people's toes. Um, but I think the biggest thing is, is this whole launch angle era. Um, you know, I know launch angle is not the swing, launch angle is the result. And so let me be clear on that. I understand what it is. Um, But I think the biggest thing is, and I've talked with with pro ball guys about this, is at that age, I don't think they're ready for that. Um, Let us fix that. Let us, you know, sophomore, junior, senior year, pro ball, you know, start working on it then. But I think you've got to learn how to hit. I think you need to learn your swing. I think you need to learn how to have an approach. And I think that's probably what is preached more than anything anywhere I've ever been has been approach more than more than the swing itself. Um, again, I just think you know, going back to the last question, it's it's just a mental thing, and I think the more you can pound into those guys, you know, look for this pitch or look for this spot or whatever it may be. Um, i think that's more important than a kid being able to hit a fastball because if that kid can learn i have to hit the fastball when i get it you know now maybe they're not looking for the fastball and the breaking ball on the same pitch they're looking for one or the other and if they get it they're going to hit it it's a lot easier to hit a fastball when you know it's coming it's a lot easier to hit a breaking ball when you know it's coming Uh, so until you get to two strikes pick one you know whatever it may be pick a slider pick whatever it is whatever that guy's throwing for a strike or tendency-wise, find that pitch and hit it when you get it. And and so I think that's probably what we pound into our guys more than anything is the approach side of things. And the other is if all else fails, just go into the box and and swing. Um, I know that sounds elementary and it may sound bad to some coaches, but uh, the last thing you need to do is go up there and think. You know, other than pre-pitch, this is what I'm getting. Once he starts his windup, you're not doing anything but worrying about hitting the baseball. You're not worrying about a load. You're not worrying about a stride. You're not worrying about getting your hips through. You're not worried about any of that. You're worried about hitting the baseball. So, you know, that's why I think, and I've interviewed for a couple of jobs, and, and that's kind of something that comes up. I want a guy to be able to take a swing and not have to look back at a at – a, computer screen or a tv screen and go ah that wasn't a good swing well no I want you to be able to feel that that wasn't a good swing you know you can tell by the way the ball comes off the bat you can tell by the way your body feels whether that was a good swing or not and so I think I think that's the biggest thing is getting guys to quit think quit thinking about what you're doing wrong in between each pitch and just think about what pitch you're gonna get and then swing um, so I, I would say probably the mental side is the biggest piece. We, we try to drill into guys early on. And then from there, we just, you know, whatever that guy's swing is. Some guys are line drive hitters. Some guys hit the ball in the air. Um, uh, you know, we don't, I think the, 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 majority of us try not to pound one idea into a guy's head. Um, everybody's got a different swing. Everybody's got a different, uh, way they get into their swing but you know everybody looks the same or pretty much everybody will look the same when you stop them um at contact so you know i think it's just making sure they know how to hit more than how to bat if that makes sense
0: absolutely does coach i'm interested when you get to the practice plan because we're kind of talking about things that you've noticed with guys coming in but let's just talk about the practice itself. Let's say you're creating a practice plan. What does that look like? How in-depth are you getting? How adjustable are you to things that happen at practice in terms of, all right, I see this, we need to work more on that. Take us to a practice that you're running. What does it look like? How in-depth is it? How detailed is it? Take us there.
1: Man, fortunately, I learned from somebody that learned from the best or one of the best uh, Coach Mack was at Ole Miss for seven years under Coach Bianco, and he brought a lot of that stuff with him, and Coach Bianco got it from from Coach Burtman. It's super detailed down to the minute, down to uh, the meeting, down to what we're working on in BP that day because you never just take a a BP. There's always a meaning in every every BP that you take, uh, down to – what the infielders are doing during BP? Are we hitting them double play balls? Are we hitting them balls to their backhand? What are we doing there? Um, as far as individual time with position groups, that's usually at the beginning of practice. So we'll have them out there. Uh, we'll have them out there early. They'll usually go hitting the cage, and then they'll come out and they'll stretch with the trainer. She'll run them through all that, and then we'll go into individual work. So I'll take the catchers into the bullpen. And and I didn't didn't hit on this earlier. Um, I think that's a big part of it is making sure your catchers understand the 20 minutes they get every day is not enough. So they need to be out there before or after, however your your, your setup is. They've got to be getting extra time on their own, and that's where those binders come into play and the sheets come into play. But back to the question, we'll have the the position groups for – 15, 20 minutes, Um, I'll go through drills with the catchers, whether it be off the hack attack or I'm throwing it or whatever it may be. It may be blocking that day, maybe receiving. I try to do one a day. I don't want to go receiving, blocking, throwing. Um, I don't think you get anything from that because you're too busy trying to move on to the next thing. So I I think we go, you know, you're playing Friday, Saturday, Sunday. You have Monday off. I think you go tuesday is is throwing or or blocking and then wednesday is the other one and then thursday is kind of your day off so maybe that's your receiving day um so you know it's tough to try to put all that into one and then it also depends on what you're doing that day are you working on first and thirds Uh, Because if you're working on first and thirds, you're not going to throw that day. And you may take that day that you were supposed to throw and turn that into another receiving day or another blocking day, or maybe that's a mental day. Maybe that's something where, you know, at Charleston we used cards. Maybe I take your cards and I start calling out pitches to you if we struggled with that the last week, being able to read the card. Um, That happened more than it should have. So... It just depends on what you're doing in the team part that day. You know, if you're doing first and thirds, they're going to be throwing. Um, another thing is maybe the base runners are working on dirt ball reads. Well, the catchers are going to be doing that as a catcher, not as a base runner. So, or, or we may switch them. So now we don't have to block that day. Now we can receive that day, or maybe we want to have them ready to do that game like. So we go over what we would do pregame in the bullpen with our blocks. Then when they go out on the field, they're as game-like as possible. So it just there there's a there's a huge amount of, of uh, a huge amount of, of ability to change and uh, d- dictated by what you're doing that day in practice. So I think that's the important part of making your itinerary and not straying from it that way everybody is on the same page all of us coaches are on the same page um so that we give the players the best experience possible and and i think if you look confused as a coach and and as a staff and you don't know what's going on the players certainly see that and uh, i think they start to lose focus so when you when you lose focus and and don't know what's going on you're going to lose them I think that's why your, your plan's got to be as detailed as possible and uh, you can't stray from it because the minute somebody strays and doesn't tell the others uh, that's where the communication comes into play things start getting getting out of control and, and you lose the guys so and you basically lose that whole day of practice so uh, just, just being detailed and and knowing what's going on and then you know like I said going back to that binder uh, as far as a positional group with the catchers. And then when you hop into BP, maybe you got a double hack set up, maybe you're, you're going fastball, breaking ball, uh, slow fast, maybe you're doing an offset hack, maybe you're doing a front toss around with a short bat, you know, whatever it may be, but but each day's got its own, uh, its own, its own piece. Each day's got its own, I'm trying to think of the word I want to use, meaning, each day has its own meaning. And we have to really strive to make sure our hitters see what that meaning is so that they're getting the most they can get out of BP that day. Uh, that's, that's the important part to me out of the, the batting practice portion is we're working on something. We're not just up there swinging. We're not just up there trying to hit home runs. Uh, we're doing a hit and run round. We're doing a hit behind the runner round. We're doing a runner at third with two outs round. Um, and, and that's what we did. At the end of every round, we had a bucks win. And that was our round where, hey, there's two outs, a runner on third, and we got to get a hit. Um, every other swing, you're trying to do something specific. We don't care what you do right here. You need to find a hole somewhere, hit the ball out of the park. Whatever it may be, you have to get a hit. So that's kind of where you develop that clutch factor in some guys. Is um, I, I think that's the, the only way you can really do it is giving them that swing in BP and telling them, hey, this is what has to get done. And they either do it or they don't. And I think eventually, uh, you know, when you get into a game, guys have done that enough and realize the importance of that. And they start realizing, hey, I can do this. You know, I do it in BP all the time. You know, why can't I do it in the game? And then they do. Just because we've now developed and, and gotten that into their mind that they're perfectly capable of doing that. And then they come up in a big spot in the game and they win the game for us. So each each day of BP has to have a meaning each swing has to have a meaning. Um, and then from there, we would go into uh, our team meeting, uh, quote of the day. And uh, actually, that came before BP. And then um, we would kind of have positional meetings after practice was over to discuss things, whether it be hitters and pitchers or whatever it was. And then then uh, let the guys go from there. But it was always detailed. And, and – you know, that's how I would like to keep it as long as possible, um, certainly from the hitter's side of things because it keeps those guys in tune with what's going on.
0: One of the things, and you just talked about having meetings with guys, and it just sparked something this offseason I'm trying to focus more on. And as a, still as a young coach, as a young coach, one of the issues I had was I just expected certain players to become leaders. And I would get frustrated with them when they weren't, leading to the caliber that I wanted them to lead. You're a senior. You should know better. You're a junior. You know I expect more from you. But this offseason, I've taken a deeper look at how I've done things, and I've noticed I haven't done a good enough job developing them as leaders. I'm just expecting this kid because he's older to be a leader when I haven't done as much as I should be to develop them as a leader and to show them what a leader is in terms of meeting with them, talking with them, maybe doing things with them. So I'm wondering – in your coaching career, how you and maybe the programs you've been around, or how you specifically have helped develop leaders in your program?
1: I, I'd, you're funny. You say that because I just looked at your tweet and, and saw that. Um, I think, I think that part's tough because guys, and this may sound bad, and and I'm not a mental guy as much as I like to be with hitters and catchers. Overall, I'm just now learning to become a mental mental person as far as mentally strong, uh, you know, reading books and having a quote each day and, and that sort of thing. Um, I think it's hard to develop that because, you know, guys are raised by their parents and, you know, you either have that instilled in you or you don't. Um, you know, I've been in, in programs before where... Uh, We expected a guy to be a leader, and he just didn't have it in him um, to do that. And so that's where kind of the quote of the day comes into play. That's where giving them responsibility comes into play. They can't be a leader until they have a responsibility. If they're just running around out there and they're a good player and a good athlete and we expect them to be a leader – they're not going to be successful unless they've already had that at home. If they're a good player and we want them to be a leader and they didn't grow up that way, we have to instill that in them. And how we do that depends on the kid. Um, It's difficult because some kids are more stubborn than others. Some guys want to be a leader and they want to do what it takes. Some of those guys are really talented on the field, and we all know this, we're not dumb they just don't do things right off the field and I think anybody would lie to you if they told you that everybody in their program was doing things the right way you know not doing this and not doing that and um, we're let's let's be realistic here Um, these are college athletes and we you know it happens we get it Um, and I think I also think it's important for them to know that that we understand that they're in college and we understand what they're going through and what they're dealing with and What they're doing but also at the same time you're you're a college athlete um, You know, you're not getting paid But you're on scholarship or, or maybe you're not but you're a part of a team and you're representing something a lot bigger than yourself and so Guys that we really want to be leaders are guys that we're going to have to start giving some responsibility to. And, and it can't be right away. It can't be, you know, hey, let's make this kid do this, this, and this. I think you got to go one step at a time. At Charleston, we had uh, Singleton's Bucks. And it was two players every evening, and they were responsible for being the last two out of the locker room. They had to clean the locker room and have it in shape, uh, you know, recruit ready. Uh, even though we were in a dead period but that's something that was instilled in the program is having everything recruit ready so if a recruit showed up it looked as good as it possibly could that was that was the best that place has ever looked and so that was one responsibility that we would give guys and and then having a quote of the day they had to go find that quote they had to get up in front of the team and say it and then they had to tell us what it meant And then we would kind of go around and other people might have something it meant to them or we would kind of discuss it a little bit. And so I think guys through that learned to be, not necessarily a leader, but to start developing those qualities of being able to stand up in front of people and speak and being able to hold others accountable. And so I don't know that there's just one way to do it right off the bat, but I think a good start is giving giving them responsibilities and letting them handle things on their own so then they see that they're perfectly capable of doing it and at the same time you know another one is they don't want to be an asshole. uh they're, they're afraid somebody's not going to like them because they got onto them um that you know if a kid or somebody doesn't like you getting on to them and i learned this really quick uh, then you don't want to be great um when i first got to charleston like i said earlier i wasn't prepared for that uh, as much as I you know want to say that I was, I'd be lying if I told you I was. wasn't ready for that at all. And I got punched in the mouth right away. Uh, but slowly, I, I got more and more responsibility with things and started you know showing him I was capable of doing this and doing that. And um, by the time I left there, um, you know, I still wasn't happy with myself as a coach. But I had learned a ton and I had kind of learned how to handle the coaching side of it as opposed to the recruiting side of it. I, I knew or better understood how to coach. And it was because I was given responsibilities, responsibilities I'd never had before. And so I think once you do that to a kid, they start realizing that it's not such a bad thing to have responsibility. And it means a lot more to them to be able to wear, you know, whatever your team name is across the chest.
0: One of the things I like to ask coaches, and I like what you said there, I had another coach on at one point who talked about some of that similar stuff, and you just saying it reminded me of it, and I was like, dang, yeah, I meant to do that last year, and then I forgot about it, and now I need to write that down while I have a pencil in my hand, and write down having the guys, you know, picking certain kids, maybe it'd be, you know, the juniors today, you got a guys got to come up with a quote and explain it to the group. Or whatever. I remember a coach coming on and saying that, whether there's a Zoom call or a convention or even the podcast, and meaning to talk, like write that down and do that last year. And then you saying it again reminded me that I didn't do that. And that's something I want to do. So I need to write that down. So thanks, coach. Um, but one of the things I like to ask coaches is, is with, especially with the ABCA convention coming up, let's say that I'm the person running the ABCA and I have the opportunity to pick my speakers and I pick you, Coach Kelly. What would you want to present on? And then could you give us a little snippet of what that presentation would be like?
1: Man, that's a phenomenal question. Uh, I, I would have never thought to ask somebody that question. That's really good. Um, I'd I'd say catching or recruiting. And, and I still, to this point, don't feel super comfortable getting up in front of people. And that's why I like doing things like this is because it kind of, Teaches me that I have an opinion, and it doesn't matter whether somebody else thinks I'm an idiot or not. Um, you know, if you don't think – if you don't like my ideas, and that means I couldn't work for you or with you, and, and so that's okay. You know, we all have different ideas. But um, I think catching or recruiting would be, be the two. And I think recruiting more than anything, um, you know, would be me explaining it's not just about you going out and watching players. It's not just about you – going out with a stopwatch in your hand in a radar gun. Um, you know, there's so much more that runs deeper than that, and it's building relationships with those players. Not just the players, but the coaches. And, and I've tweeted this before, and I've said this before to other people, and I've always said if I got the chance to, to do a high school coaching convention, I would say it. But I, I value what summer ball coaches say, but I value so much more what high school coaches have to say and it's not because a high school coach is a coach and and, you know that's their title and they're the head coach or whatever i've got friends that coach summer leagues and summer ball and uh, high school showcase organizations and, and they're phenomenal people and phenomenal coaches but there is nothing better than being able to talk to a high school coach and you really really get to understand that kid's character um You know you talk to a summer coach and you know hey he's a good kid and great player he does this this and this well on the field well what's his character like in the classroom well it's great well you know you know that kid and you you probably know a little bit about him in the classroom you know about his grades but his high school coach is gonna be able to tell you exactly what's going on with that kid Um, you know and I've never done this I'm not saying I ever would or wouldn't, you know, but almost to the point where if it's a big enough named kid at the Division One level, you might would call the principal and say, hey, how's the kid in school? You know, what's he like? Does he does he respect other people in the hallway? Uh, how is he in class? That sort of thing. And that's why high school coaches' opinions uh, weigh so much on me It's just because they, they know so much more, I think, character-wise about that kid than anybody else does, sometimes probably their parents' um so that's important to me and just back to the college coach part of it i think is is really hammering in that you know you can have the best eye in the world but if you can't communicate with that kid then it's over Um, i've seen guys that are really really good evaluators but they're not good communicators i've seen guys that are good communicators but aren't good evaluators And I think probably I've fallen into that category before. Um, The more you see, the more you know, and the more comfortable you feel doing it. But um, I I think you have to be able to do both. Um, To be well-rounded with recruiting, and you you pick up the phone and that kid feels awkward or it's a weird situation, the kid's probably not coming to your school, it doesn't matter what facilities you have. But then you've got guys like Coach Flores, who's our recruiting coordinator at NM Kingsville, he does a phenomenal job because we don't have half the things that most of these schools have, but he gets really good players to come play for us. And that's just because he's a great communicator and and, and does a great job with that. So I think it, I think you've got to be able to do both those things, you know, and I think probably the communicating more than the evaluating part is, is the most important because you can have a guy go out and evaluate, come back and tell you, well, now you've got to make the phone call. You know, you're not going out and seeing all the players. You know, there's other coaches that do that, or you get a phone call from somebody or video, especially during COVID. you got to be able to pick up the phone and communicate. So I think that's probably probably a little more crucial than the evaluating part uh, for me. And so I think coaches understanding that and realizing that is really important because if you can't do that, you're not going to get the players you want.
0: You know, I'm a I'm a teacher and I've only got two more questions for your coach and then we we'll can wrap it up as I you know you've been busy all day flying, eating, traveling across the country, seeing family. So I'll try to keep this one short and the next one short as well. But I'm a teacher, public educator, and so with that means we get evaluated now. I don't know if at the collegiate level you guys get evaluated in terms of sit-down evaluations. I'm sure you do, as most great programs, great businesses, whatever, usually evaluate and have conversations and growth plans. But I'm curious to see, let's say you were a head coach and you were evaluating your assistants. What would be some of the things you want to see from them? What are things that you would be evaluating them on? What would it be like to be a head coach under you?
1: Man, that's a, that's a great question. You've got a lot of good questions, and, and don't worry about how long this takes. I could do this all night. I'm sure you couldn't, but, you know. Um, I've been fortunate to work with, with head coaches that are extremely good at what they do. Um, I don't know that I would evaluate a guy on how well he can swing a fungo or how well he can hit BP. Hell, I know if somebody evaluated me on that um, – I'd be coaching Little League probably. Um, I I wanna know if you can communicate with your players. Uh, Are they comfortable around you? Um, Not too comfortable. Do they have a relationship with you? Do you have a relationship with them that allows you to be able to coach them? Uh, You know, I've fortunately not ever been around a coach that um, couldn't do that, uh, that I can think of. Uh, They've all been you know, extremely talented with communicating. And again, I think that goes back to recruiting. If you can't communicate on a phone call with a recruit, you're probably not gonna be able to communicate with your players either. And and so I think as a head guy, that's one thing that I would really value is communicating with your players and communicating with me, if I'm your head coach. Um, I've worked for head coaches, uh, all three at the college level, you know, like I said, I haven't gotten a chance to really work for Coach Gonzalez yet, but, um, Coach Guthrie, Coach Bay, and, and Coach Mack, all three of them, uh, the second you did something or, or the minute you did something, that was a mental note in their head. And as soon as you went back in the office, it was, hey, you know, don't ever do that again or, um, hey, you need to do a better job at this. And that's what I really appreciate about all three of those guys. And, and even Coach Rush, when I was at Tom Ball High School, was the same way. Uh, I never had to wonder what was on their mind. Uh, they were always going to tell you, You didn't do a very good job of this. And, you know, I I think part of me likes to think I'm old school, but part of me also likes to hear sometimes, hey, you did okay. You did good. Um, I don't have that in me much anymore. I think Coach Mack got most of that out of me. Um, You know, if he doesn't tell you anything, then you probably did a good job. It's when he's telling you something, that's when you did something wrong. So, and I have no problem with that at all um I think it's expected that guys do a good job that's your job that's what you're hired to do it's when you're not doing your job that you know somebody's got to remind you hey this is why you're doing this and this is you know you need to do a little bit better job at this and so I really learned along the way you know that's constructive criticism they're not doing that to be an ass they're not doing that because they don't like you they're telling you that because they do like you if they didn't like you they'd let you just go on they'd fire you at the end of the year and You know, you'd move on and do something else. Um, And and I think I'm the same way. Communication's a big deal to me. Uh, You can ask my wife that. You can ask anybody that. The second that something's not being communicated, that's when I start getting frustrated because then we're not all on the same page now. I don't know what's going on. You don't know what's going on. Uh, Our pitching coach doesn't know what's going on. So I think it's just communication's huge. And if you can't communicate again with recruits, then you can't communicate with your own players. So that's the biggest part, Um, you know. And and kind of repeating myself here, you know, obviously you want guys to throw BP, you want guys to swing a fungo, you want guys to be able to do all those things, coach a base. But I think at the end of the day the most important part is being able to communicate with your players and communicate your style. I think, uh, you know, again, I want you as a pitching coach to be able to talk to a pitcher and explain how to get something out of them mentally or how to get past something mentally. Same thing with a hitter. You know, I don't, your approach, obviously, I would want to to be similar to mine, but at the end of the day, that's what I want the hitting coach to be able to do is to be able to talk approach with hitters. Uh, There's going to be some guys that need some adjustments to be made with their swing but I think the most important part is communicating with those guys on the approach and on the mental side of things. So, you know, I I think mentally and and communication or I'm sorry, mentality and communication are the two biggest things for me. If I were a head coach and I were evaluating uh, other assistants.
0: Good stuff, coach. Really, really good stuff. So I'll wrap up the podcast right here with this question that I always ask at the end of the podcast and let's say you get this beautiful facility, this beautiful clubhouse. You can design it however you want. You've got the ping pong table. You've got the pool table. Heck, you might even have a pool in the clubhouse. You've got the cubbies with all the guys' jerseys on it with their names on it. Um, but there's, there's one, one catch to it, and it's that you can only hang up one sign with one quote in your, your clubhouse for your guys to see every day. What quote would you choose and Why?
1: oh I don't know <laughs> I can give you one but I would change my mind in about five minutes uh, when I got to Charleston as a staff and, and as a team as a program we all read uh, old-school grit by Darren Donnelly and um, you know about a college basketball coach and he's fixing to retire and uh, he's just trying to he's writing this book and he's trying to to teach you know the rules for success never change Um, but but a quote from that book is it doesn't matter who you are or where you come from those who achieve greatness are those who decide to achieve greatness and I think that kind of goes along with hanging it up in an indoor Um, each time you look at that sign you're looking at it and going you know it's my choice I can walk out of here And somebody else is still hitting or somebody in another program is working harder than I am right now or I can continue to stay in here and get what I what I came in here to do and I can achieve greatness but it's it's your choice at the end of the day and so uh, you know another one you know read reading ego is the enemy right now by Ryan holiday and one of his is you cannot get better if you're convinced you're the best Um, I think that kind of goes along with that. So probably be between those two. Uh, And then, uh, man, I couldn't even tell you who said it, but I I went to a state FFA convention with my dad when I was, I don't know, eight, nine years old. And uh, the quote was, good isn't good enough if you can be better, better isn't good enough if you can be best. So I think that's that's probably another one that I would look at and hanging up there.